Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Fans of Sound and Vision, the official book of the podcast, Why I Make Art, Contemporary Artist Stories About Life and Work, is available through Altelier Editions, the publisher's website. It's altelier-editions.com. The book features 30 in-depth looks at artists who have been on the podcast, spanning mediums from painting, drawing, photography, sculpture, performance, and land art. Artists include Diana Al-Hadid, Jules de Ballancourt, Greg Crutzen, Heather Day, Inka Essenhai, Salman Tour, Robin Williams, and many more. The book features a foreword by my friend Rishikesh Hirway, who is also the host of Song Exploder, the Netflix special and podcast. You can check it out at atelieredictions.com or you can get to the link through soundandvisionpodcast.com. Sound and Vision is supported by Golden Artist Colors. Golden is an employee-owned company that makes the best artist materials for making that you can get. Over the last 25 years or so, I've been using Golden acrylics, mediums, and materials, and I stand by the quality in their products. They make acrylics that stay wet longer, they dry flat, mediums to make you paint super thick and beautifully fluid. They also make Williamsburg oil paints and core watercolors as well. You can find Golden in your local art store or online at goldenpaints.com. Sound and Vision is supported by the fine coffee makers at Fulcrum Coffee Roasters. Fulcrum has amazing coffee beans that you can order straight to your door. On their website, you can choose from different roasts from different origins, and you can even get a coffee subscription where you can get different beans delivered to your door each week or month. I'm on this subscription plan and it's amazing. As a coffee fanatic, getting new roasts all the time delivered fresh to the door is amazing. If you get to Seattle, you can even see a 10 foot by 40 foot mural of mine in their 6th and Bell Street shop. Check out Fulcrum Coffee Roasters at fulcrumcoffee.com. Jeremy Cerise is an artist based in Brooklyn, New York. After graduating from the Savannah College of Art and Design in 2010, he was accepted to La Maison des Artures, a residency program in France where he worked from 2012 through 2013. His first book, Curveball, was published by No Brow in 2015 and was nominated for a Lambda Literary Award. His sequel, The Short Wow, was published with Arkea in November 2021. He's been teaching art for 11 years with stints at the Maryland Institute College of Art and most recently at the New School and SVA. His solo show of paintings entitled Pleasure Principle opened Friday, October 13th and continues through Thursday, November 10th at Octor Klein Gallery in Manhattan. Jeremy and I talk about growing up, moving about from Berlin to the U.S., cartoons and comics, making books, making paintings, and much more. Here's our conversation. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so are you, what neighborhood are you in? I, I would guess Park Slope. We're at the very bottom of Prospect Park. We're, like, at the parade grounds. Okay. Just based on the vibe of that room i'm thinking <laughs> oh yeah like not well that could be Greenpoint too i guess but yeah yeah no nice. not Greenpoint. yeah i've been in the same neighborhood i've been in new york 10 years now and i've been essentially the same 
two block radius that entire time. My partner and I moved in together August of 2019. So this is our place. This is our like second bedroom. That's like our studio. Nice office. Teaching. Yeah. Teaching yeah, yeah. office. The professional room. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, but before New York, mm -hmm. you were in where? So the full all arc. Over? It, so we can go way back. Let's start. Where did okay. you go? Where did, I grew where up in Virginia. Born? My family, my dad's was in the Air Force. So I was oh, born in Berlin. Berlin, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh -huh, you're a Berliner. <laughs> and then born, born there, moved to Biloxi, Mississippi, and then moved to Virginia, Northern Virginia, because my dad got a job at the Pentagon. Lived there until college where I went to SCAD in Savannah, Georgia. Four years at SCAD and then moved to Chicago. And then after Chicago, moved to France for like a year long residency. And then now New York. But that's it. There's the podcast. That's it. One, we yeah. did it. That was less than a minute. <laughs> Lightning <laughs> round. That was impressive. Um, so, so you're a German citizen, though. You were born no, 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 you can't. You, it's not that situation there. It's a funny thing because I, my mom. It was like always, especially you know, politics in the past couple of years, especially my boyfriend Holden was always like, you have to look into it. You have to look into it. Yeah. And I kept bringing it up, bringing it up. And then my mom eventually, the story goes is that, cause it was, I, my parents were in West Germany or West Berlin. And I guess my, I knew, always knew that my like birth was very traumatic for my mom. It was like, she was in labor for 24 hours. I had blue feet. I was like, didn't have enough oxygen. All Wait, you always were, knew that? That was broadcast? Yeah, it was like yeah. a whole art. It was like this whole art, this whole story. And my mom would always <laughs> tell me this whole story. But I didn't know that basically, you know, all these doctors had been yelling at her in German. They almost going to do a C-section. All of this happened. Oh I'm finally God. born. And then this nurse turns to my mom and is like, do you want to apply for German citizenship for your child? But the nurse also includes that if she does, I can never be president. And so my mom is holding this like newly born thing being like, I don't know if he might be president one day. And so she just decided no. She just was like, I waved it off and was like, I don't want it. But well, my mom. Nice. She had aspirations for you. <laughs> she, she, she didn't but want now to put a glass like, ceiling up. <laughs> yes. But now it's the thing where it's like, oh, but. And she always felt bad. So she never really told me that part of it. But I guess it's like too. I've even like emailed the consulate and they're like, yeah, I don't think so, dude. Oh, uh, that ship has sailed. Yeah, that ship. That's has a sailed. bummer. It's you know, in some ways, I'm like, it's just, it was never meant to be, and that's just, it is what it is. Well, I could imagine that that, I mean, that uh, that room of like screaming in German yeah. and the intensity yeah. of that, and, and screaming in German is a different kind of screaming. yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a little aggressive, so yeah, I can imagine being overwhelmed. But the real mm -hmm. question at that point would have been, yes, but if he is a German citizen. Could he become German president? <laughs> oh my God. No, I'm not even the right? idea of like weighing into anyone's politics. I'm like, absolutely I know, I not. Know. I do not yeah. have that personality. Yeah, you, you weren't able to step in at that point and been like, no. mom, look, politics, <laughs> let's not worry about it. Just yeah, give no. me what I <laughs> so yeah, I can imagine that was a stressful yeah. situation. Oh boy. So how long were you before you went to Biloxi? Not very long. I mean, it was only a couple months, really. My yeah. parents were by that by they had been in Berlin for almost a decade. Whoa. And yeah. Yeah. They were there for basically most of the eighties. Have you been? Yes. Yeah, yeah. What do you think? Yeah. I love I mean, of course I love it. It's it's strange because it's like my mom has such intense, awful memories there of oh, like yeah. they, you know, I've 
had like when I was growing up, we had all these big photo albums of like the time that they had there of like just them being young people in Germany. But my mom has all these in very intense memories of the Cold War and and always feeling like if she was gonna ever try to leave, having to go through Check for Charlie, being very stressful and also yeah. You know, this thing of like, they had one apartment that was very close to no man's land. And she would be like, yo, you would hear like gunshots at night. And it was like very traumatic for her as a young person. And, but then now it's like when I'm like, you know, because like when I, if I believe, if I remember correctly, they both worked in Tempelhof. Mm-hmm. And so when I was newly born, I think I also was in Tempelhof because there was housing on the airfield. And so the first time I met went was maybe a decade ago. And I remember sending her photos and being like, Tumblehoff is just like a big park now. And she was like, what do you mean? And I was like, yeah, people just like bike and smoke and just like drink. And it's just like a giant open air park. And she like could not, and she's never been back. So she like cannot conceive of a world in which it's, it is what it is now. Yeah. And so it's strange, I think, to go because it's like, I do feel a connection because of my family, because of like these giant photo albums I remember looking through as a kid, but it's also strange because it's not a place I've ever actually lived in or have any actual connection to. It's just like a kind of fascination, I think more than anything. Yeah. It's such a dynamic place. I mean, the, yeah. the chain, the amount of change, mm-hmm. like when you go there, I mean, I had a show there in the, I think it was 2009 or something. Mm. And I remember just walking. It was the first time I was in Berlin. Mm. There's just, I mean, you can't escape the past there. It's just kind of, yeah. like there's relics of it everywhere. and mm-hmm. But it's gritty and there's like an energy to it. But yeah. I don't know if it's maybe more gentrified and it's gotten more sort of. Yeah, we were there. At this point. Yeah, we got, we were there last February for a short, short trip. And I have a good friend who lives there and he's, He's now officially, I think, a German citizen. He's Canadian, but applied and successfully got his German citizenship. And he's been there for a decade. And he had he was very negative about it, despite the fact that he was like, I know I have to live here because it's the only place I could actually afford to do what I do. It's just a mess in many ways. And I was like, you know, I'm gonna take his I'm gonna take his word for it because I'm not I don't have any skin in that game. Yeah, it's the rare Canadian exile. Usually everyone's yeah. running to Canada. <laughs> yeah, or I, yeah, I don't know. I've, I've seen both ways. I know I know a few Canadian exiles. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, actually, I didn't come to think of it. Yeah, uh, there's a, a wave of, I feel like mm-hmm. a lot of people are doing Portugal these days. Really? Weird. Well, I have no idea. It's really cheap. It's cheap. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we went recently, my family, and it was, it's beautiful and it's cheap. Mm. You know, but, but when I had my show there, people mm-hmm. were, you know, talking about how you could just get these giant it was i mean it was rough around the edges but you could mm-hmm. get giant studio spaces you know for mm-hmm. relative i remember seeing adrian genny like working mm-hmm. my dealer showed me he's like oh there's this guy working in one of our spaces and he was working in the corner of this ginormous like wow. it felt like a cave like yeah. it was very dark and you know but <clears throat> yeah i think it's probably i'm sure it's changed so yeah. you went uh biloxi's funny i mean that's that's such a <laughs> it's yeah there's a real sort of image that pops into mind, but probably not there long either, right? I was there, we were there for, I think, five years, roughly. Oh, that's good. Give or take. Just because it's like where my brother was born. I do remember, yeah, I think it was between like 89 and probably 92, so maybe four yeah. years. But yeah, we were on military housing and and 
I don't really remember very much. I've got stories that my mom has told me, but I don't really, nothing that I can like viscerally remember about Biloxi. And yeah. it's funny now because my boyfriend grew up in Louisiana. And so he has stories about Biloxi, but it's like from actual experience as a human who could remember those things, like right. driving. There was like a story he was like telling me how he would, they tried to like drive to Biloxi because I guess at the time you could still smoke indoors. And so they tried to like go smoke indoors in like, I think a Cracker Barrel. And I was like, that is, it's just like strange to be like, this is the same place. I don't really have any connection, but yeah. I know of Biloxi. Right. Well, where were your, where did the, the memories start to congeal? <sighs> probably in Virginia. I mean, probably. I don't, yeah. I don't know. It's a funny thing. I've got a nephew now and I, I think about it all the time because it's like, I'm not someone who I have got a good memory, but I'm not someone who has a lot of like deep childhood memories. Like I don't have a lot of these things where I'm like, Oh, remember this? It started like probably like, you know, late elementary. I feel like when I can actually pull things back, but now that I'm a nephew who's three, I'm like, what? Like, I'm like, you were just a full being like you were just out here. But I'm like, will you remember this thing that we're that is happening with us right now, or like, am I going to be that 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 person in your life who then has to be like, oh, remember when we did this, Finn? And it's like, you of course don't because you were two. But that's like, right. it just blows my mind to think that that is just how we all are. There's some sort of like shared act of remembering that you were there for, but don't actually remember. Yeah, I'm having that experience too. It's funny because I don't have that experience with my son necessarily mm. because i'm there day to day mm -hmm. but my cousin's kid like who is in japan and i only see mm. once in a while i think oh they're gonna kind of remember this yeah. american guy yeah yeah who comes over you know what i mean mm -hmm. it's it's funny to think of like oh what memories will be mm -hmm. kind of imprinted and then i i feel like these days with phones and social media and, and photos that mm -hmm. it'll be more of a memory through those images than, mm -hmm. you know because i have like pictures of when i was three years old that my mm -hmm. parents took of me which were all embarrassing and they are <laughs> yeah. burned into my memories you know yeah. um but yeah it's it's interesting so virginia was uh, it's all related to the military or like mm -hmm. being around for work right yeah, I mean, well, it, we were sort of a lucky military family in many ways because my dad got the job at the Pentagon when he was in the Air Force. And then when he retired, we just stayed in Virginia. So now he mm -hmm. still works for the federal government. Um, my mom now lives up in Massachusetts, but my dad's still down in Virginia. So, yeah, we were a military family who did not really move. Yeah. Yeah, because sometimes it's nonstop, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. So um, when did you, uh, you had to have been like a drawing kid yes oh yeah is that a safe yeah. bet <laughs> yes well yeah and it's you look it's like a, you put the reps in like you yeah. <laughs> roll with the pen <laughs> yeah well it's like a it's a it, i don't know it's a it's a funny thing with like because i've got memories of like my mom would tell me that i would like draw in church on the church bulletins and i of course don't remember any of that but it is a thing that like that is it's such a constant that it's like hard to even like see it for what it is it's just always like what i do rather than a thing that like oh this is the thing that i picked up at one point it's like oh right. it's just part of it's like a leg it's like oh yeah it's just this is a part of me at this point yeah like breathing yeah yeah, yeah. i just do it yeah. um so when did it become when did you become kind of conscious of that of mm -hmm. those memories of whether and i was thinking about 
you know, how did comics or cartoons mm. enter your life? And then what is the music situation as you were mm. a young kid? Were you into music and was that around in the house or like, what are those two, when did mm-hmm. those two things enter? With drawing and comics and cartooning and all of that, I feel like it's interesting because it's like a, nowadays, I think with the internet, it's it's easier to sort of choose what you're looking at. But I think as a kid, it was just, of course, television. It was like television and books. Like I've always been a big reader. Mm-hmm. And so I think anything with illustrations was just, I was just obsessed. And then, you know, like the greatest hits of 90s programming of like, I remember very distinctly when like Pokemon hit the airwaves where it was just like, mm-hmm. like a, a meteor hitting Earth where I just like could not fathom anything else. It's like Pokemon and Sailor Moon back to back on after school was like very, very, very important. Music, though, it's tricky because I'm not someone like I love music, of course, but I'm also someone who cannot. It's taken me a long time, even with my boyfriend, to like feel comfortable putting music on in the house, like making that decision to be like, we will listen to this. My family was not like a music family. My brother is hugely talented musically. He plays instruments. He sings beautifully. My brother is amazing music wise. I cannot I cannot hold a candle, but I, we were not a family who like played like albums as a family. Yeah. If anything, my dad would play music when he was like, if it was like a, I don't know, what's the word? It's like weird to be like a romantic evening, but like my dad, like trying to sort of either like set the, the 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 mood. mood. Yes. Yes. Like either like post fight with my mom or he was like making a nice (laughs) meal. He would like play like Michael Bolton. And I have like very distinct memories of like, (laughs) Like there was a there was a, a DJ in Northern Virginia called Glenn Hall named Glenn Glenn Hollis, who was like did he was sort of like long distance dedications prior to Delilah. He was like a local DJ in mm-hmm. in, in in Washington DC who was like we <laughs> always had Glenn Hollis on. It was always 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 Glenn Hollis, and he had this like very particular like very smooth sort of like whisper talk. But it was just like the cheesiest. And it's music that I, of course, like obsessed with now. But it's like, it's just was like so foundational. But it's like not, it's not like cool music. It's not music you want to like play for your friends. Right, right. Like I will, I will defend all of it in its various cheesiness. But I, I'm like not putting Richard Marks on for like a group hang, you know? Oh, Richard Marks, though. No. No, I know. Pretty but great. it's like, I mean, yeah, I, like I said, I love it. But it's also, it's not cool. Like it's not, you know, we were not, and like Holden, my partner, his family, like, is a very much a music family. Okay. Like, they would play songs together over Thanksgiving, like, they'd sing in the round, and I'm like, that is not my family. We do not do those things. That's so fun. I'm always fascinated with um, households or people mm-hmm. who grow up without music. Yeah. Because it seems like such a missing chunk of, but that, I, I think yeah. it's the kind of thing, it's an it's a only child thing. It's like if you grow up and it's not around, it's not a big deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Like my wife grew up in a household where they never really played mm-hmm. music. It was just never. I mean, she loves music, but yeah, yeah, it's yeah. such a different experience. I mean, my mm-hmm. dad had like Motown and like rock mm-hmm. and roll on all the time. Mm-hmm. So it was just like, it's almost like white noise. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like you, you have to have it on. And it, But it's fascinating that your brother was so inclined to music without yeah. there being seemingly an environment around it. Now, were your parents... Like, where do you accredit 
the drawing and the artistic vision, were they creative and or was that around at all? Or were you going to see stuff or, or was Not, it literally yeah. like, you know, geo dude and Charmander and stuff. <laughs> and that was like, <laughs> I mean, it's funny. My mom always, I mean, various stories of my mom that she loves to bring up, but she always says that she would, she always wanted to be able to draw and she always wanted to be able to sing and she can never do either. And so she sort of like, I don't know, unlocked something in her children that she herself could not do. And mm -hmm. it was not a thing that my, like we did not go to museums as a family when I was a kid, like a very strong, I mean, they were very, very supportive of it, of my like artistic inclinations, but it was not a thing that my parents really had in nor, I mean, really anybody in my family who had a, a, interest in it the closest i have is an uncle my dad's older brother who lived in japan for many years and was like a big collector of antiques and prints and things like that and he he had a very beautiful home outside of it outside of the chesapeake bay in maryland that we would go to and that i think was like very beautiful but it was not necessarily that he was even like artistically inclined he was just a big like japanese history buff and antique mm. collector and and but that was really the closest but it was you know i think my mom like if i was into like i don't know if I, if I was into rock collecting my mom would have like moved to the grand canyon like my mom would have done anything really to yeah. be as supportive of me as possible which is huge and i think in some ways i'm so grateful for it because it 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 in some way and in many ways too i also am kind of terrified of people Terrified is maybe too strong a word. I'm always very fascinated by people whose parents are in the same world that they are, where it's like pa having parents who are art artists or, you know, like even, even like culturally with it, which is maybe yeah. seems maybe meaner than I mean, than I intend, but like for parents who are like knowledgeable of cultural forces, which I think to me for a long time I always felt like I was maybe a little jealous of but now I'm like I could not handle like following in the footsteps of a parent in some ways it's so nice having a clean slate where it's like I'm just the only one doing this thing it's just me yeah I don't have I don't have anything to prove to my family like they just love me and that's that's enough yeah that's funny that is a really I mean I, I'm thinking about it too in the context of like I am an artist and I mm -hmm. do have a son who mm -hmm. you know what I mean and like yeah. is that oppressive to be kind of like <laughs> culturally yeah. engaged or something like, yeah. you know it's, whereas my family when I was growing mm -hmm. up they were just working class like you know yeah. they, we would go to museums once in a blue moon like as kids but not mm -hmm. like, family and it was yeah it was kind of like carte blanche you know you yeah do what you want to do especially even like playing music and bands mm -hmm. and stuff it was just yeah maybe there's something slightly liberating about that yeah I definitely think so yeah. I've known, I mean, I have, I have a fair number of friends who even, you know, like a good friend of mine was really into like biking for a long time. She just was like, but like going on these like bike, big bike trips. And she was also, there was some story where she was telling me where her father grew up in Northern California in the, like the forties and forties or fifties. And there was some story where she had like gone on this big bike trip and was so excited and he was like kind of blase about it because he had like in the 50s had like ridden a Schwinn down kind of like the length of California. It was like in the local papers because it's like no one did that at the time. Like it was not a thing like like trail biking right. was not a thing anybody ever did. And so he just like drove like him and his buddies like bike down to Mexico 
And she was like, you've never told me this. Like, she was like so hurt because she was like, this is the thing I feel so proud of. And yet my father beat me by literally decades doing, <laughs> not even like doing more and better than I ever did. Like she just right. was like, what am I doing? Yeah. I was like, man, I cannot imagine that. Yeah. If you think about people who are, well, I guess some people buck the trend, but like those who have really famous parents, mm-hmm. you always feel like the kids have no chance. Yeah, no way. No chance. I mean, yeah. you know. Like Ronaldo's kid, I mean, mm. you know, probably going to be pretty good at soccer, but yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. you're not going to, yeah, yeah. you know, you're not going to jump up. Man, mm-hmm. it's, that must be tough. Well, so it's you. Well, before we get into school, I mean, okay. comics, like mm-hmm. comic comics, was that something that you got into or was it just cartoons? It's it's funny. I mean, I did, but I also don't know if I because there was a huge comic shift in terms of like what that even meant in the 2000s. So, I mean, really in my experience, when I was a kid, it was like newspaper strips I was really into, like zits and things like that. Yeah. And there was like a, there was like some like local, like DC affiliated comics that I was very into as well. Like this guy, Richard, God, what is his name? He did this comic called Cul-de-Sac. He has since passed, but he was like hugely important to me. But then in the 2000s, there was sort of this boom of like graphic novels, which that right. also kind of coincided with me being in high school. And so, that didn't really happen until then. And then when I went to SCAD, I had loved comics, but my intention was really to go there for illustration. And so, but then when I got to the program, the illustration program was kind of small and like a little, not frumpy, but it just sort of was like, didn't quite, it was sort of, I think, had waned a little bit, whereas the comics department was huge. And I had met all these people who were there specifically for comics because it was like a very niche thing to even be, in school for it was like people were really there for that program and yeah. I ended up switching majors partially because it was all my friends partially to impress a boy like I had sort of just threw my hat in the ring of comics and that was what I got my degree in after the four years my in sequential art well yeah that's it's it's interesting because of that um that time period that you were talking about like the early 2000s mm-hmm. and that switch I had never you know I grew up watching you know, Bugs Bunny and mm-hmm. stuff like that, like Warner Brothers. I, I loved uh, Fritz Lang and, you know, mm-hmm. um, Chuck Jones and that kind of animation. It was just what I watched, mm-hmm. Roadrunner and things. And I think my aesthetic of some things were sort of influenced by that kind of like simplicity. Mm-hmm. But I never got into comic books. And I had friends who were really into, you know, all that stuff, like the mm-hmm. Superman, the Marvel, all never got into it. But there was something about those graphic novels that I I kind of tapped into when I was in art mm. school, you know, that seemed so different. Yeah. And um, yeah, I, I just wonder, like the entry point there, if that, you know, it has like a different, a, a completely different, seemingly like objective and feel to it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. but that was something that was kind of, you were passively into or, or like when you were in school, what were you and what were you working on? Like, what were you developing as far as like your own personal language of, mm-hmm. of making? In school, in college or in high school? No, in SCAD. Like, oh, in, yeah. I mean, well, we can no, talk about yeah. high school. Arts, no, no, no. I think we we're all in the same. College. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, with, with, it's funny because I feel like that, like that moment was so exciting that it's it's hard to really even... Because now it's a thing, I think in many ways, that moment has waned a little bit. Like there was really this boom because in my experience, at least for my understanding, publishers 
were really excited by graphic novels, but no one really knew what they were. And so there was just sort of like a very wide range of things being published. And in school, we would talk a lot about this, something called the Zarek Grant, mm -hmm. which if my understanding holds, started by the guys who started or created Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. One of them blew all his money sort of like on fun times. The other guy essentially squirreled all of his his earnings away and then started this grant that was for cartoonists to sort of take the time to make a larger book. And that in many ways kind of created this graphic novel boom because suddenly people had the time to right. make a full book. And so the thing with that moment was that there's just was like so much of everything. So it's like we were, you know, there's graphic novels and there was also like mini comics, which you, people would go to these shows and you just, there was sort of this feeling that you could kind of do anything, especially with the internet being this sort of pre-Instagram flicker moment where it was like very insular communities and people had the time to like make a blog and like share their work slowly. And, and you know, there was less pressure to really commodify your what you like really solidify what you're doing very quickly yeah and so i think for us at the time like we were just required of doing everything like you would make your class assignments and like scad for all that i learned there had a their comics program was very a lot of my teachers were like guys who had drawn superhero comics in the 90s and so a lot of our like curriculum was very much like how to draw like a bodacious babe who's nine heads tall and like how do you do three-point perspective and like <laughs> how do you ink a brick wall and like hand letter with an Ames lettering guide and all those things I think ultimately were good for me technically but that was like that was class and then everything outside of that you know you were making like weird scenes with your friends and then like doing your own drawings and then posting them online and then I was also like painting with gouache at the time and like making weird paper sculptures and you just were kind of doing everything because that felt like there was no expectation because no one really, you weren't really seeing anybody like have a public career in a way that I think nowadays everybody feels like they're seeing everybody have a very right. linear Instagram focused trajectory. So, yeah. you know, in some ways it's also, I think just college, but having taught college now, I'm like, I don't really feel like those students are having the same and maybe I just was lucky with the, with the friends I had and the program I was in, but there's there was just very little expectation on me at the time to like be a thing. Yeah, like we just were kind of like winging it for four years, which I feel. And you know, it's like I graduated in 2010, so it's like I graduated into the recession and like nobody was doing anything. So it was like, and I think we could see that even probably sophomore, junior year out, being like, yeah, there's not really going to be. A, you're not going to get like clawed up into like a perfect career already like it's just not gonna that's not waiting for you yeah it's almost like a double hammer hit because it's like there's this aura and structure of like mega professionalism yeah, yeah. right like when i got out of school it was like well what are you gonna do i don't know move to new york there was yeah. like no Mm -hmm. the only structure was like oh you try to go make art somewhere where people can see it and maybe yeah. you can start showing it that was yeah, it yeah. there was no real template or anything mm -hmm. now it's like everything's mapped here's what you need to do to like yeah, promote yeah. your brand and all that and and then coming out of that with all that sort of like professional angling mm -hmm. to a recession yeah yeah it's just like yeah. oh man that's but it's probably in a way good because it's, yeah. it's that's like a boot camp sort of approach to yeah you know in the same way of like learning you know having that teacher who's going to teach you that sort of i don't want to say antiquated but you know like an yeah, old yeah. way of like thinking 
you know, it's something to push back against. And it's yeah, also agreed. gives you some foundation stuff, you know, mm -hmm. which is probably useful, I imagine. But yeah, yeah. it's a, a, a complete different kind of environment. So mm -hmm. what did you do when you, what was the plan? When I graduated? Yeah. We moved to Chicago. I mean, it was a kind of like happenstance. I had done, right as I had graduated, right as I was about to graduate, I had done a cover for the new city, which is like an alt, -week, alt -week yeah. lead Chicago. They had reached out. I had done a cover for them for, I think probably $50. And then I had a friend who grew up in Chicago, like the Chicago, greater Chicago area. And when I had done that new city cover, some Chicago cartoonists reached out thinking I was local. And I was like, no, I'm still in school. And so then I think basically the, those com the combo of those things happening were sort of like Chicago's cheap. Let's do it. And so we all moved a good, a core group of us just moved to Chicago and got apartment together. And I was there for like roughly two and a half years and just, you know, we worked day jobs and just made stuff on the side, basically. Seems like, you know, there's a good history of not only, you know, comics there, mm -hmm. but like, you know, artwork that was mm -hmm. very in line with the comic sensibility in a way with like Harry who yeah. and that funkiness. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you have like, wasn't Dan Klaus from Chicago? Yeah. yeah. And then, you know, Chris Ware and all those. Yeah. People. I mean, you know, there's a lot of, and it's a good, feels like a good depressing winter state <laughs> yeah. draw, draw yeah, yeah. grumpy car. <laughs> yeah. Well, the funny thing is I was listening to another podcast you had done another episode and I was listening, listening to them describe the fact that like when I was there, it was like 2010 to 2012. And so, the like cloud of SAIC was like very not cartooning friendly. It was not figurative friendly. It was like yeah. a lot of, of um, what's that art mode? What is that? I'm thinking. Zombie formalism? No, there was no. another thing. It was like a thing where uh, relational aesthetics. Oh my God. I just remember <laughs> it was like two years of my life. Like, and I love Chicago, but it was this thing where I just was like, the art, like our little ragtag group of cartoonists and like the Chicago cartoonists we knew were like very friendly and very wonderful but then like all of the like art people were like that is dumb <laughs> they yeah, were very yeah. clear about being like that is for children you are doing children's things <laughs> and it was like you know I mean it was formative but it was like funny to like look back on how like serious and like personally I took that and and I, I think especially like the Chicago aura or like I mean maybe just like cartoonists in general, especially like people like Chris Ware. I feel like I've been this year, especially like going into my first painting show, I've been thinking a lot about letting go of sort of that like defeatist cartoonist attitude of sort of this like not woe is me, but rather kind of this like socially awkward, kind of like self-defeating, like alt comics baggage. For lack yeah. of a better word yeah, and yeah. i think it's interesting to like play back that time of my life where it's like i took all that stuff to heart and was like still trying to like and trying to like basically find myself through this moment of my life and it's it's funny how that stuff can kind of loom still where you're like it's something that someone had told you a decade ago you're like oh but that's still you know it's still you're like no 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 it's fine move on right well i would imagine too i mean well people like you know um, Chris Ware, who's in the Whitney Biennial, yeah, you yeah. know, and then you have, you know, a lot of really great artists today, like, you know, like Robin Williams and mm -hmm. Justin Liam O'Brien and like people like that who got their start in illustration yeah. or doing sort of like comic or computer rendering, things like that. Mm -hmm. I think it's 
entering into people who are making, you know, just like maybe more traditional paintings mm-hmm. and that sort of connection with the way people are engaged in that kind of media yeah. more so recently growing up. I see it with students, you know, mm-hmm. it's just part of the vernacular yeah. and the segregation of that whole Chicago, what you're talking about of like, yeah, yeah. well, the art people are over here and you're just yeah. doing your dumb little tchotchke toy cartoony things. Mm-hmm. You know, that, I think that's probably dissolving a little bit because it's, it, I think there's a little bit of democracy to the way that people mm-hmm. are experiencing culture and images, you know, and yeah. I, I've seen a lot of paintings recently with a Pokemon influence. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's just because the people grew up, that's yeah. the thing they grew up with, mm-hmm. you know? So, um, yeah, I, I think it's it's probably, but it's probably hard, like in the case of what you're talking about, of going through that process mm-hmm. the way you did in school and being, you know, it's probably harder to divorce those mm-hmm. ideas of, you know, the separations of things, basically, yeah. where it feels like everything is blending a little more and mm-hmm. the hierarchical stuff is is dying down a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I, it's interesting. I think that that melding together of all of those those influences are very, very interesting to me. I don't know. It's, it, it's part of the, I'm trying to like, well, we're doing the like linear thing. I'm trying to like not get ahead of myself and talk about my life now, but. Oh, you can is, go ahead. You can time. I, no, I, I, I do think there's, it's, you know, I think part of this year in the lead up to my solo show is really just, I think making peace with that part of the like separation of, of, really letting myself let go of I don't know this like with comics you know like I with Chris Ware like I remember very distinctly going to right before I left there was like some comic symposium at the University of Chicago and he you know it's like the classic cartoonist like socially awkward thing but I remember like watching him on stage being so uncomfortable and this moment of feeling like like his work is so important and I love it so much, but also feeling like that is who a cartoonist is. Like that is this idea of, of what a cartoonist is in the world. Whereas like painters have such a bravado and there's such a history of like, you know, like artists in a broader sense, having a like machismo for lack of a mm-hmm. word that I don't feel like cartoonists really always. And if people do, it's never seen as like a good thing. It's always like a, that's, we don't talk about that person or right. if we do it's never in in glowing terms and so in some ways i think that separation stylistically has been part of the same letting go of that separation stylistically i think is also part of this process for me of like really stepping into my own as being like i'm an artist without caveats like i'm just this is what i do and i don't as my partner says turn the spear on myself like Justin, who you just brought up, I remember like last fall, I was at an opening. We were at an opening together and he was talking to someone and I walked up to him and we were all talking. And this other artist was like, what do you do? And I, I think had probably said, oh, I'm like, oh, oh I'm a, you know, blah, 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 painter, cartoon. Like, I'm like, but it's like, I'm, you know, I'm trying, blah, blah, blah. And Justin was like, what are you doing? <laughs> he like called me out because he was like, what are you doing right now? Yeah. Like, what is the point of this like weird mincing act you're doing right now? Like, you should just like and he of course like afterwards was like i didn't mean anything about it i was like no no it's a good like and i stay i think about that moment often because it's it was a thing of like even in this past year it is a decided difference that like i really tried to not be that person anymore but it's hard when you sort of feel 
other it feels too strong of a word, but it feels you feel pigeonholed where it's like the thing that you these sort of words like illustrator or cartoonist feel sort of like punitive where they're sort of saying they're saying that there's a sort of lack in what you do rather than a sort of possibility for more. It's sort of like the expectations have been set at a certain place and it's hard to sort of move beyond them where you're like, oh, but I can do anything. And I think that's something, it's just something that I've I'm been more aware of increasingly that like for a long time, I kind of like sold myself a little bit short. And yeah. I think not to say that like cartoonists do this and maybe it's just, just a me thing, but it has been an interesting thing to see painters like approach cartooning in their own work and being like, oh no, it's fine. Like you're not, oh, right. you've just been overthinking things and it's fine now. Yeah. Because it's funny because it's so, um, for a large part, it's been championed in work of contemporary work of mm -hmm. people who find the influence of cartooning, whether yeah, it's yeah. like Carol Dunham or, mm -hmm. you know, Inca Essenhai or, you know, there's so many yeah. people who um, use a sort of um, comic or cartoon sensibility, mm -hmm. but it's, it's, it's almost like if you come in with the badge that says, I'm a painter, I'm influenced yeah, by yeah. this and that, or I'm a cartoonist and I'm, you know, I'm also painting. Yeah, like, yeah. It's it's one and the same, really. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's yeah. It's it, the, ideally those borders get get a little mm -hmm. blurry here as things are, you know, opening up for uh, this sort of. I, I I always think there's a there there's a good and bad of this sort of democratization of everything mm -hmm. to where there's just like anything goes sort of thing yeah. can sometimes be a little overwhelming and blurry and mm -hmm. saturating if there's no editing going out on anything, you know what I mean? Yeah. But it's, it's great in the sense that like everyone's, you know, invited to the party and, you know, mm -hmm. everyone has a voice. And so it's, um, yeah, I mean the, the history of, I mean, cartoon, we know cartooning comes from, you know, punching little holes in paper to create a template for a, yeah, Michelangelo yeah. painting or whatever yeah. like it's all kind of stems from the same thing of drawing and painting and mm -hmm. we build these sort of like boundaries or you know or people wear their badge or like I'm this I'm that yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's just, we, we all make images in different mm -hmm. ways I mean I've always been really really interested in, in uh, a sort of fan since well not always but when I was in school I remember there's a comic book store around the corner mm -hmm. from my the building and uh you know i started getting into graphic novels because i just didn't experience anything like that before mm -hmm. it just seemed really exciting like the and visually i was just you know the stories were sometimes okay you know they were yeah. always you know maybe hollywood level of like you know really <laughs> yeah, amazing yeah. movies but you know they hold and and you know growing up and playing bands like and and being around punk and straight edge mm -hmm. kids and stuff and zines it just felt like you know a comfortable environment and was like really interested in and and i've like i mentioned this on a recent podcast but you know i was a few years back i was on the uh, lynn ward prize uh, mm -hmm. jury so i got you know hundreds and hundreds of graphic novels to, mm -hmm. to and i had to look through all of them, you know, oh, wow. to judge for this, the Lynn Ward prize. And it was eye opening. I mean, I'd always been a fan of graphic novels, but mm -hmm. seeing the diversity and like how funky they can get. And yeah, you know, it was really great. It's very inspiring. I mean, there's mm -hmm. so much exciting visual stuff happening in that, in that realm that yeah. it's, it's really cool to see people taking elements of that or elements of that kind of um, visual, um, experience in their education or they're coming up and then mm -hmm. infusing that into painting 
mm-hmm. which I think, you know, and it's funny because I came to your work the other way around. Like I yeah, came yeah. through it through the painting side of it. Mm-hmm. I didn't even really know that like the, the entirety of your past of all the, the projects you've done and all that, mm-hmm. you know, so yeah, it's, it's working. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well and it's yeah i mean it's funny too because it's like when i play back the last decade of my life it's like because after chicago i moved to france and i did like a year-long cartoonist residency called the house of authors in this town called angoulême which is the southwest and that was like this it's a moment i've been pl- maybe because it's been a decade now that i've been there than since the time that i was there but i feel like that moment was like very similarly post-college kind of like mind melting because I had gone, you know, the program I'd gone through in college was like very traditional, very American. And then going to France and, you know, it's, there's just more money for the arts, but there's just like, was so much, there's so many kinds of books that I could not conceive of being possible in terms of approaches, materials and the tent. And it was, it, the, the world just like opened up to me in such a way that I could not conceive of. But it is the thing that I'm going back to that moment more and more because it was, you know, it's like you get older, you you spend years teaching and you're sort of like trying to solidify yourself into a way that like makes sense for both book marketing and, you know, just like who you are in the world. And then you kind of have to be like, oh, no, actually, I can do anything. Again. Like remembering this moment where everything, anything felt possible, anything felt achievable. And it really just was a matter of like having fun and stretching yourself out, stretching yourself out to see if it was even possible to do something and remembering that kind of like youthful enjoyment again, you know, and being like, yeah. oh, I, 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 at one point I believed anything was possible. And I know it's a little bit cheesy to say, but now I'm like, oh, I, I do believe that again. Like I am at a point again, I think shifting away from maybe an older version of myself, I feel a lot of excitement again of like, there's just less at stake than I might've believed a couple years ago. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I feel like a lot of like creative life is trying to, it's like we need structure or just mm-hmm. in general, we need structure in our lives, but then we always have these moments where we break out of structure and yeah. we do something different. Mm-hmm. Like, oh yeah, you can do that in life. Yeah, yeah. And you always want to strive to have that experience of yeah. like, I love traveling because mm-hmm. not just because you get to go somewhere and you're experiencing another culture or another area and visually you get rejuvenated because you're looking mm-hmm. at something new but also because you're just disconnected from that day-to-day, yeah, yeah. you know? <laughs> and I'm a creature of habit. I love, mm-hmm. like, repetition and, you know, studio and, and doing this and that. But um, there's something really exciting about that. But it's it's almost like we we have to carve that out for ourselves yeah. to do it. Absolutely. We, we, there is a comfort of the day-to-day. Mm-hmm. I think if, if, if one were to travel and just have that moment, like, if you were in that experience in, in France all the time yeah, yeah. it might be exhausting mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what i mean so you try to like take those elements and put it into whatever you're doing and, and not forget it that's like the mm-hmm. things yeah. not forget that sensibility but um so well let's talk about like the work that you're doing now like the the not you know whether it's on paper or mm-hmm. paintings like what it, now what are you working on and and how have you transitioned into you know working in you know the realm of like you know, pen and paper into like paint and canvas. So, yeah, I mean, I, I have a, my first ever solo show opening on Friday, this Friday, the 13th. And it's been kind of amazing. I mean, it's been, I think a few years 
in the making in terms of even getting to a place where solo show aside, I think even just the idea of like making work in this way, I think has been not necessarily new within my life, but I think prioritizing it has felt very new. Mm -hmm. I was prioritizing books and making comics and working as an illustrator, which truth be told, I was never very particularly very good as an illustrator. I, I have done jobs at various points in my life, but I have kind of a, a history where I would get a gig as an illustrator and then usually it would be one or two gigs. And then that art director would either quit that publication or the publication would fold. And so there was never a sense that I was like particularly very stable as a working illustrator. It would like be like kind of like a weird hobby I would do in between books. And so, but I was always painting on the side, you know, it was always a thing where I would like, you know, a lot of the works that I was making for illustration were in gouache. I would make paintings on the side for fun. And there was, I think this must have been, when was this? 20. 17 2018 i started making these like large scale gouache paintings on paper mm -hmm. for fun but even then it was like a thing that it took me a long time to get to a place where that felt achievable my boyfriend is an, also an artist and it was i think the start of our relationship that really allowed me to see that as a possibility to take up space in that way i think i was so used to being very compartmentalized to be like i do this you know, and everything, especially nowadays, it's like everything I was making, I was sort of, the goal was to get hired to do that elsewhere. You know, right. if I was doing a drawing, it was like, I essentially want to make a thing that someone could then hire me to then replicate. But it was never, you know, I was never very, it never really worked. I never really did anything that was, I never worked as an illustrator, illustrator that felt satisfying. And so the secondary work which stayed very much the secondary work was always sort of where my focus was. It was always the thing that was the most exciting to me outside of book projects. But then, you know, I, I, you know, like many people, it's like I had my, not, I don't know, it feels dramatic to say, but it's like, I think COVID really shifted. I had, uh, I got really hurt in 2019 and then COVID happened in 2020. And I think both of those experiences really shook up my life in many ways where I was in the process of working on my second book during COVID, but then it came out in 2021. There was a lot of issues with like supply chain and publishing the bottom falling out of publishing in many ways and at least with graphic novel publishing. And it just, the, the stars kind of aligned where I was like, you know what, I'm just going to paint and really focus on just painting, like really doing it for myself you know, I quit teaching, I got day jobs that were not art related, and I sort of just like cleared the deck to give it a shot. And last year, I just painted all year. Mm -hmm. And it was one of those things where I feel like I just, I've, you know, I've been, I feel a little bit like I've been building the plane as I'm flying it. But I think this year of building the show or making the show and really trying to make a show and see what that looks like, I think has been so exciting. And I think it really is a thing of like having kind of, I think a couple awkward years and then reaching a place where now I'm like, Oh, I can just do like, I feel like I'm just now starting, even though the show is done. I'm like, Oh, I'm like that, that, that is like the rough draft version of a thing that I'm, I'm feel like could be so exciting, you know, yeah. really having, it's like, you know, I've never had a solo show before, so I don't really know. It didn't really know what what goes into it. So now that I have had 
I've made the body of work for us on the show. I'm like, oh, this makes so much more sense to me now. I'm like, oh, I can just, (laughs) I like want to do it again. I like want to have a second go because now I like have all these things that I I have figured out in the process of painting. Yeah, that's the kind of beauty of shows as a sort of end goal is that it just sort of like, it encapsulates a group Mm -hmm. of work that then you you pause usually you get reflection on that and then you move to that next it gives you mm-hmm. that sort of energy bump to do the next one and you, mm-hmm. it's it's funny it just kind of like builds in a way in a nice way which i'm i you know i've only done a book but it's a different yeah <laughs> like i would like to do another book eventually but that was exhaust i mean that yeah, is yeah. a whole different thing yes yeah <laughs> Yeah, it's a different are, pace. It's a yeah. different working process and collaboration, and it's wonderful. But it's it's yeah, it's a hold. The immediacy of just making you know fifteen images and hanging them on a wall. There's something beautiful about that as well. Yeah, yeah, I definitely have been thinking about that a lot this week. I mean, the show wrapped yesterday. Like I took an Uber yesterday into the city to like deliver the paintings. Mm-hmm. So it's like officially been twenty four hours since the show has. This show's not even hung yet. Like I'm like in the weird limbo between. But with the book, it's like I I I feel very proud of both the books that I've made, and I I I'm glad that I did those, and I I know that I know that I as I get older will look at those and feel very proud of, and feel very glad that those are experiences that I I had. But at the end of each one, I was just like, I just was like a a just exhausted just like a pool of myself yeah. like i could just had no bones left i just was exhausted exhausted and i don't feel that now like yeah. i feel very excited for the next i'm gonna take you know i'm taking a, a chunk of time to not paint i'm really gonna try to prioritize relaxation at the moment but it is a very different experience of like the the book being a thing where you like throw so much of yourself into like both of my books took five years so it's like you spend all this time making a thing that is essentially like a weird closed time capsule that you then send out to the world being like, Oh, I hope any of these, it's like, you, it's like a joke that people make where it's like worried that they're going to send a professional email and it's just going to be nothing but like curse words, you know, <laughs> like I feel like right, with a right. book, it's like you make something and you're like, this makes sense in my brain, but I yeah. also have no idea if anybody will ever be able to understand that there was a goal. Like, it's like a weird thing to try to hope, that words make sense for other people. Like it just like could not conceive of, it just was so anxiety ridden being like, I just, I don't know if I made any sense at all. And I spent five years doing this, you know, yeah, Whereas, it's, like, with, it's there too. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's there forever. Which yeah. is kind of a good and a, and a daunting thing of like, yeah. when you have a book, it's just, it's going to be there. Like yeah. shows they, I mean, there's a website, I guess, yeah, but yeah. the show goes up and then people see mm-hmm. it and then it goes and then there's another one. Yeah, but they're just a little more fleeting, I think. And then there's, you know, the book, which has yeah. its lifespan of just being around, which is it, it's it's great. Actually, I yeah. mean, if you're gonna spend five years on something, you don't want it to disappear yeah. in a month. <laughs> well, it's tricky too, because I feel like in some ways, I do think that, but I also am like I have a lot of anxiety about, like, I mean, this is, I've never released. I mean, I have not. I don't know what these ha- will happen to these paintings I made, but I do think a lot about, and maybe this stems from like, you know, when I was in art school doing like cheesy still life drawings and then family members being like, that's amazing. And then like yeah, it's yeah. hung in like the family dining room for a decade. And you're like, please, like, I don't want to see this like ugly chalk pastel drawing I did for drawing one 
like over Thanksgiving <laughs> dinner. Like I please don't make me do this. Okay. So I think in some ways, like the painting show now, I'm like the idea of like a painting that I feel lackluster about sticking around for a long time. I think that I'm like, like, especially with, you know, like having friends now who like have, you know, made it as painters and like seeing their work, like show up in auction or getting resold being like, how does it feel that you're like thing that you made when you were 24 is now like changing hands at Christie. Like, what does that feel like? I cannot conceive of that. That to me feels nuts that like yeah. a white gloved yeah. hand is like presenting this painting being like, remember this, remember this thing you didn't love. And now is like being sold on the open market. Like what? That's yeah, weird. You, you can, I, I think, I mean, I know I have a limited experience in that, but yeah, I yeah. think you just not to not think about it. Yeah. Oh, and yeah, that's why can. I think so many artists just like look forward, you know, you yeah, just yeah. try not to, obsess about the past or worry too much about yeah. that i mean i do the same i mean thinking about someone sent me a message the other day based on like an old podcast and mm. and said well well this one didn't age well and i was like well oh, no. yeah and i was like oh i wonder what i said and i was like i don't have enough time to go back yeah, yeah, it no. is what it you know yeah, like yeah. you're everything's going to age yeah, yeah. in different ways and some things are probably gonna mm -hmm. you know it's it it is what it is you have to yeah, just yeah. i think when you're a maker and you do things like that you just have to put it out there and yeah, just yeah. move on you know what i mean yeah. or else it's you can yeah, as you know you can spend so much time yeah. and energy worrying about that stuff and yeah i don't know i'm too tired to think yeah no about it. <laughs> yeah i love the there's been like a trend i think in like new york some like new york it's basically maybe just at the guggenheim but i think because they had the cat show and then the hilma f klimt show many years ago but i feel oh, like yeah. they have this like funny thing that they've been doing where they're like these like truly very early like teenage works that are like so bad but yeah, like yeah. endearingly so oh yeah and i'm great. like i'm like oh that must be so weird <laughs> like you're, you're at the pinnacle of your career you are 91 years old alex Katz, and you're like let's look at a drawing you did when you were 14. <laughs> right it's humbling hey listen you know it's humbling yeah, right? it's, it's true. good it, the only it was like picasso was the only one who was like was yeah, yeah. eight and he was like making yeah, yeah. bangers like, I know. it's not fair uh, but yeah no it's i always think it's great to see that early mm -hmm. stuff you know i'm you know yeah i don't there's something uh we all got started somewhere right yeah yeah we all true. make mistakes and mistakes are what make you mm -hmm. you in a way you know that's i yeah. think that's the the beauty of the whole thing well, it's like with the painting show now, it's like, I do feel, you know, I think it's also been funny making the show because it's like, I just, I turned 35 this year. It's my first solo show. I've never had a solo show. And I'm also like friend, many, I've got a lot of friends who are painters who like are reaching this, like, I don't even know what the, like, they're just, they, they, they really popped off for lack of a lot of better yeah, word. Yeah. And it's been strange in that, having moments where it's like you know i work two day jobs i paint on the side trying to make it work trying to make the best work i possibly can with the time i have and feeling especially the summer being like i didn't really do very much i didn't you know like we did some traveling but not a ton not nearly as much as like many people on my instagram did and <laughs> feeling some type of way some days about like the the feeling behind the curve potentially but then at the same time, being very quick to remind myself that like, I I do feel like the timing is right. Not for whatever, like not in a careerist sense, but rather just in the sense of like, the work I'm making now could only really have happened now. 
and feeling really okay with that and really making peace with the fact that like part of this process has been kind of letting go of expectations you know like when I was teaching and I was teaching a ton for the past decade like I taught college I taught middle school like I just have taught anytime there was a teaching job I took it and I think for me I got really burnt out in this space of like having to occupy a place of authority of being like I know what's going on and feeling a disconnect with my the feeling disconnected from the fact that like I didn't think that was true but I'm feeling like my students needed that from me they like needed a calming stabilizing force especially the New York schools where they're spending so much money they're very stressed they want to know what their future is going to be like and be me being like my honest answer is not the answer they want or feeling like my honest answer is not what they need to hear in this moment and I think stepping away from that was very healthy for me but it's also been funny and I think part of it is like being in day jobs where there's like no art related part of it where you're just like some person doing a thing that it's been nice to be like I don't have answers anymore and I'm just I'm just letting it happen and I'm not putting any I'm not putting too fine a point on it because I'm not I'm not getting ahead of myself in a way that I think in the past I had a tendency to because it felt like that is what I needed to do to have a career to have it get to the next level or sort of like plan out some sort of trajectory where it's like if you weren't hitting these certain points if you weren't you know getting enough sales in the first week then it wasn't going to go where it needed to go and all of that like it just you know it it's been really nice to just be like this had to happen now because I just and in some ways it only could happen now because I cleared enough space in my life to kind of prioritize it right now you can just do you um, yeah (laughs) instead of like tending to all that other stuff you just focus on what you're doing Mm-hmm. Well, okay, so here we need you to tell everyone the books, where they can get the books, okay. the show, all the information okay. on what they can, where they can find all of your work. Well, I'm on Instagram. Um, What's that? My name. <laughs> so the, the monster we all have to feed every day. Um, my name is Jeremy Cerise. It's just my handle. Uh, my two books. First one came out in 2015. It's called Curveball, published with No Brow. The second book came out in 2021. It's called A Short While, published with Archaea. And then my solo show opens this Friday, October 13th, in New York at a gallery called Oxford Klein on Monroe Street, the Lower East Side. And that runs until November 10th. Nice. That's a good run. People can yeah. we'll get this out and people can go check it out. It was uh, it was great to talk to you. I'm, uh, you yeah, know, I think I'm so excited to me. see the show, you know, and 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 to get the books because I don't own the books, so no, no, I'm, I'm excited no, to get them. You can also, I mean, the, I love a library. Please check them out, a library. I like love, I love oh, seeing yeah. them like on the shelf and like something about it feels very. Like, a bookstore is fine, but like a library to me, maybe because it's thing of, or it feels like weirdly protected or like it's going to be there yeah, for a yeah. longer amount of time. It's got a safe yeah. home. Yes, yeah. that sounds good. Well, thanks so much. Yeah, no, thank you for having me. Yeah, it's great talking. Sound and Vision is recorded, edited, and produced by myself, Brian Alfred. You can find out more about the podcast by going to soundofvisionpodcast.com or checking out images on Instagram at soundofvisionpodcast. You can really support the podcast by leaving a rating and a review wherever you listen to your podcasts and telling a friend or sharing it with anyone you think might want to hear from these artists. Many thanks to Golden Artist Colors 
and Fulcrum Coffee for sponsoring this podcast. And many thanks to Jeremy for taking the time to talk. Make sure you check out his show at Dr. Klein, Pleasure Principle. It opened Friday, October 13th. It'll be up till November 10th. So make sure you check that out. Some great episodes coming up, some really interesting artists. So make sure you stay tuned.